Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we kick off a new week. Hope you had a good weekend and that you are safe and well. Here where I'm at in Illinois, planters were rolling over the weekend and we'll again here at the beginning of the week and we'll find out if uh, planters will continue to roll this week in other parts of the country as we talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson on today's program about this week's weather forecast. Lots to talk about uh, the big announcement from USDA late Friday of a $19 billion assistance package for agriculture. And now we wait to see if Congress does indeed get together and uh, put more money into the, the Paycheck Protection Program. We'll talk about all that and more with Kansas Senator Jerry Moran, who will be joining us on the program this morning. One of the uh, sectors of agriculture that did not get help in that assistance uh, plan announced Friday is the ethanol industry. And we'll get reaction from Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol a little bit later on in the program as well. So lots to talk about. Let's kick it off with Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thank you for joining us and hope you're still well. Yes, always good to join you, Mike. Uh, interesting, uh, late Friday major announcement from USDA. I thought the timing was interesting. We did, too. Of course, we are always wary of late Friday nights when we were thinking of doing other things and doing press conferences, but Mm -hmm. obviously we wanted to make sure that our readers got the news as soon as possible. Obviously, Secretary Trump has been, or Secretary Purdue has been working around the clock with President Trump to try to roll out this aid package, and we knew kind of the big picture numbers, but... um, he d- delivered on a little bit more Friday night in a White House announcement and then a press conference at 9 p.m. Eastern. Um, the interesting thing, in addition to the timing, Mike, is the fact that the secretary did not really roll out a lot of specifics. In fact, we got most of those from a press release uh, delivered from Senator Hovind out of North Dakota. And so if you look at our coverage on this, you'll see most of the details came from Secretary uh, uh, Senator Hovind, who is uh, working, of course, hand-in-hand with Secretary Purdue, but um, that's where we got most of the details. Yeah, we're still, uh, it's always interesting to see how those details shake out and just how soon the assistance gets out there. So we know it's $19 billion, and we have a, a combination of direct payments and some USDA purchases as well. Correct. So here's what we know so far. $3.9 billion for row crop farmers, $9.6 billion for livestock, and that's broken down to $5.1 billion for cattle, $2.9 billion for dairy, uh, an assortment of products, $1.6 billion for hogs, $2.1 billion for specialty crops, and another $500 million for others that are not specified. Uh, the secretary made clear he'd like to get the money out by the end of May, It'll be calculated on 85% of the price losses from January 1 to April 15th and a 30% calculation of the losses between April 15th and September 30th. Payments are capped at $125,000 per commodity and $250,000 per individual. So those are some of the uh, big picture numbers, but um, then again, we'll be watching closely to see how not only this direct assistance is laid out, 
uh, and provided to producers who solely need it. In addition, tomorrow USDA is hosting a webinar to talk about the food purchases that are going to be made and how they're going to work with nonprofits and others to deliver three billion, almost three billion in purchases that will be distributed to feed banks and others who can help the hungry. The other thing we know, and we knew even before the announcement was made, that while helpful, it's not enough to offset the losses that agriculture is experiencing. That was certainly the point that was well made by a number of different interest groups uh, after the announcement was out there that is fall far short of what many had been requesting. And as you pointed out, the ethanol industry was not included. Uh, there are a lot of others who uh, would like to seek additional help under this Paycheck Protection Program that looks like a deal may be finalized between the White House and Senate Democrats this week so that they can get that rolling. And agriculture was not very well able to access as much of that program either. So there's a lot more that needs to be done. And even at that rate, uh, if we have another stimulus program, it's hard to make people whole under this. There's just so many losses. Right. And you mentioned the possibility of another package. Do you expect another one coming uh, this summer, perhaps? I really think that they will uh, look, come back and, and look at what else needs to be uh, assisted. Uh, obviously, the National Restaurant Association has been very hard hit. They're asking for additional assistance. A lot of states and uh, counties and municipalities are saying, hey, we are suffering from a lot of lost tax revenue because people weren't doing business. They're going to want to bail out, so it's hard to imagine there won't be some additional funding headed out from Congress later this year. Well, it'll be interesting, and on tomorrow's program, we're going to be talking with several ag groups and get their reaction to the uh, the announcement and also how they think uh, it will help their particular sectors of agriculture. But bottom line, of course, Sarah, until this economy gets up and going, uh, all of this is just a you know, at best, some Band-Aids to kind of get everyone through. I think that's a pretty good description. Obviously, farm groups are thankful that there's going to be some assistance coming, but then you look at the, the pork producers, for example, who are trying to get their hogs to slaughter, and slaughter plants are shutting down. You're seeing a lot of different ripple effects throughout the economy of as people get sick and, and can't go to work, even though they're deemed essential. So we're, we're seeing this huge disruption throughout the supply chain. So you can look at any different part of it and say, wow, there's there's been damages here, and how are we going to recover? Also in this package, I know a lot of other groups, especially growers and some of the other segments of agriculture were looking for assistance. Did they get any help? Yeah, the specialty crops came out with $2.1 billion, but far from what they said were the losses. Now, they will hopefully be helped as well by these commodity purchases because that fresh produce needs to move very, very quickly, as you know. But they also were saying, you know, this is not enough, and we need to be looking at other ways to help assist growers who are in the specialty crops area. And, of course, those purchases uh, have a, a double impact, not only helping the the uh, producers that are, uh, you know, providing the uh, product, but also those food banks that we know are really hurting right now and need the, need the supplies because so many are needing the assistance. 
Absolutely. You probably saw over the weekend, there were just miles of lines. I saw one in Illinois where you are, and obviously we've seen them in other areas where people are pulling up in their cars and just so desperate for that kind of additional assistance that they can't get anywhere else. So hopefully that help gets to them soon. All right, Sarah, certainly a lot going on. Thanks for the uh, update. We appreciate it. Take care. Thanks. You too, Mike. Sarah Wyant, editor, president, AgriPulse Communications. Up next, we talk weather with DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson, right here on AOA. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions shape information america's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams more storms in the south more field work in the midwest let's talk weather with dtm meteorologist bryce anderson bryce thanks for joining us uh, what do we have coming this week ahead it's going to be a pretty good week for getting work done across the Corn Belt, Mike. Uh, there's not a whole lot of uh, real action in terms of a cold frontal boundary. Uh, the uh, the uh, boundary uh, for frontal uh, location has pretty well been set up in the Gulf Coast through the Atlantic seaboard. Uh, we could have just a few little uh, shower pockets kind of across the Midwest but not uh, anything real heavy on rainfall. And uh, we're looking at temperatures that are pretty much going to be near to above normal for the season. And you combine that with some westerly winds, and you have the setup for field work, uh, for planting, and uh, obviously a lot better than a year ago. And I think that we're going to be seeing that pretty well uh, stay with us all the way through the next 10 days into the end of the month. Yeah, we almost forget with all the problems we're dealing with right now with COVID-19, if you stop and compare where we're at from a weather and planting standpoint this year compared to last year at this time, a huge improvement. Oh, it definitely is. Uh, There is no question about that. I mean, all the way from north to south, uh, there's been uh, spring wheat that's been able to be uh, seeded, maybe not everywhere, I know that. And I I know that we still have uh, some corn that probably still needs to be harvested in the uh, Red River Valley of the north. But uh, producers have been, you know, kind of whittling away at at that. But over uh, the balance of the uh, interior of North America, it's been a lot better. Uh, We've had uh, some uh, let up in terms of the real heavy precipitation going on. There's been, um, you know, milder temperatures that have uh, hung around for more than you know just one or two days and that all has been uh, very favorable even this past week um, when we had a uh, pretty notable round of snow that moved through the midwest at least uh, kind of a a swath from uh, you know kind of between interstate 80 and interstate 70 and then all the way from colorado to ohio that occurred even uh, 
even that uh, really didn't hold things up very much because within about 24 hours, all that snow was gone, and uh, growers are back out in the field, uh, either fertilizing or maybe even doing planting because of uh, uh, just uh, very little uh, real real cold weather that came in behind that, and uh, so that allowed things to get back at it. Well, I mentioned the storms in the south. Uh, they've really been getting hit hard this year. They have, and uh, there's there's uh, not going to be a a real big uh, change in that uh, in that uh, storm potential uh, from the I would say from the central part of the delta south through the Gulf Coast and into the southeast, because uh, the next uh, week to ten days are going to keep that uh, cold frontal boundary uh, kind of locked in. Uh, I would say between Memphis and uh, Natchez, uh, between Memphis, Tennessee and Natchez, Mississippi, and then kind of curling east and northeast toward the North Carolina coast. And that's where the uh, focus of the uh, storm activity is going to be with, again, uh, tornadoes, uh, strong winds, hail, uh, heavy rain, as uh, part of that whole mix, and it has been a, a real tough uh, situation, and then you combine it with the uh, with the COVID-19 uh, health uh, health uh, management efforts that are going on, it uh, has, has been a real problem. I do not think that there's going to be uh, very much change in that part of the country. So that's the other side, of course, of the uh, fairly uh, good fortune in terms of the weather scene that we've uh, experienced over the central and the northern growing areas. Let's look out in wheat country as they uh, assess the damage from that recent cold snap, and we're still getting assessments on that. Does it look better moving forward now for them? It is going to be milder in the in the central and southern plains, and uh, there are hopes that, that uh, the freeze that we had uh, during this past week there was one more shot of freezing conditions on uh, on uh, the 18th. That would have been on Saturday morning. Uh, not quite as cold as we saw a week ago today, but uh, there still was uh, an occurrence of at least a light freeze. And there are hopes that that's it. And I, I do think that that's quite likely, that we've seen our last round of uh, freezing conditions in the central and in the southern plains. Now, uh, you know, we just have to wait to see how it all uh, shakes out in terms of uh, affecting the wheat crop. I do think there has been some loss because uh, the wheat was well in advance in terms of its uh, crop progress. So there was uh, more vulnerability uh, for the wheat to uh, the colder conditions uh, than, you know, than in a typical year. And so uh, that's still to be determined, but I know that there's legitimate concern about how bad it, uh, about how cold things got and about the uh, kind of damage that uh, could be possible well, with what went on. All right, let's look at the northern Midwest. Uh, what do you see there? I think that uh, this coming week is going to be uh, overall a decent week. Now, uh, there's going to be some showers that uh, kind of cross the uh, northern part of the Corn Belt during uh, this, uh, oh, I would say, mid to late week. Uh, right now, the uh, colder conditions uh, are in the far north. Uh, we're getting that uh, a little bit of a colder pattern in the uh, central and the northern uh, Red River Valley and then toward the uh, northern Great Lakes, northern Minnesota, northern Wisconsin. 
But I do think that we're going to see some moderation there as we go through uh, this week. And, uh, and overall, uh, the, the uh, situation is still looking uh, better uh, than we had a year ago. Maybe not quite as, uh, as quick on progress or as, um, as widespread on progress, but still I think that there's going to be some work that gets done. Eastern Corn Belt? Well, um, I don't think that there's going to be any real big uh, holdup in terms of progress. Illinois, in particular, has uh, has done pretty well. Indiana and Ohio could see some showers this week. Again, I don't think that there's going to be a um, a, a real extensive uh, delay in terms of uh, progress. But one thing that I think is a takeaway for me is that by the end of May, we're likely to see about all the planting taken care of. And that's a big difference from a year ago. So is, is progress getting going as quite as quickly as we'd like to have ideally? No, it's not. But compared with last year, uh, we're mm-hmm. quite a bit ahead. And, and I think that we're going to be able to maintain that kind of a difference compared with a year ago. That's good news indeed. Uh, before we let you go, what about South America? Well, in South America, there hasn't been any change. Uh, the Brazil rainfall pattern is still focused in northern Brazil. Central and southern Brazil are still very dry. And I think that there's uh, going to be some reduction in the uh, safrina corn crop in Brazil because of that. I do want to mention also, Mike, that Russia and Ukraine do not have a whole lot of rain this week in the forecast. They are dry along with Western Europe. And that's starting to uh, play out in terms of some concern about how the uh, development of the wheat crop in both uh, the Black Sea region and in Europe is going to actually play out this year. Mm, That's interesting. That'll be a story to watch because that certainly impacts world markets. It is. And, uh, you know, you combine that with uh, the the, uh, surge in demand that we've seen for basic uh, food products because of the uh, health situation worldwide, now with some weather issues on both sides of the world, both in the Western and the Eastern hemispheres, uh, there is more concern this year than I've seen for a while. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Bryce, uh, so you think uh, we can safely say the cold weather's behind us now for the most part? I think we can. Uh, there's a little bit of a uh, breakup in the polar vortex up north but uh, it doesn't look like it's going to have a whole lot of punch uh, when that, uh, uh, that little uh, colder or cooler uh, airflow moves southward, and it's uh, actually going to focus more over the northeastern part of the U.S. and kind of stay away from the interior of the country. Uh, so it's a lot more spring-like as we think about how the next 10 days to two weeks are going to be. Well, we're all looking for some good news these days, and uh, you've just given us some in the weather. Thanks, Bryce. Take care. Stay safe. Okay, you're welcome, Mike. Thank you. All right. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Well, we have a lot to talk about with our next guest, Kansas Senator Jerry Moran. We'll talk about the assistance package announced by USDA. We'll find out what Congress is working on as far as some more assistance as well and his thoughts on how we're handling COVID-19 overall. That's coming up next. Kansas Senator Jerry Moran next on AOA. Heat. 
drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. It's good to have with us Kansas Senator Jerry Moran. Good to talk with you again, Senator. Hope you're well. Mike, uh, I'm well. I hope uh, you and our listeners are well, and it's great to be with you on your program this morning. There are a few things in agriculture going on once again in the country. Yeah, we've got a lot to talk about. Let's start with USDA's late Friday announcement of $19 billion uh, assistance package for agriculture. Uh, what were your thoughts on how that was handled, how, they, uh, you know, how they're going to distribute it? And obviously we know that the need's greater than that amount, but uh, how far do you, th- you see that going to help? Well, Mike, uh, it is a step in the right direction. Uh, Secretary Purdue and the president, uh, in just broad terms, told us what they, this plan would entail. We obviously need to know a lot more. I had a conversation, a telephone conversation, one-on-one with Secretary Purdue just a few days ago, uh, outlining my ideas uh, for how this program ought to be developed. Uh, we've also weighed in by letter with uh, more detailed suggestions and constant conversations with the staff at USDA by my ag staff in Washington, D.C. Uh, but what I would say to, to well, first of all, this, uh, this $19 billion comes about with an effort by a handful of, uh, of United States senators who insisted that in this phase three, the CARES Act, that agriculture, farmers, and ranchers be included. Uh, in addition to this, we restored money for the Commodity Credit Corporation, the CCC, that money kicks in in uh, the first of the, the end of I'll say, J- July the first, uh, right after the end of the fis- fiscal year, J- uh, June 30, and so that money becomes available. I would guess it and more will still be necessary, as you indicated, but uh, 16 billion dollars to direct uh, direct assistance to farmers and ranchers. Uh, again, that won't unfortunately be adequate based upon what's going on in the countryside, and three billion dollars to purchase food and agriculture commodities. For use in our food banks those those are both good things uh the the difference let me, let me try to put it in perspective the amount of money in direct assistance the 16 billion dollars is about what the second round of mfp payments uh that amount is very similar but we now have uh, dairy and livestock and specialty crops included in this payment so to put it in perspective there's a, about the same amount of money to be split a, among a bunch more uh, sectors. Uh, we, uh, this group of senators, two or three, four of us, insisted on livestock being included uh, and that livestock challenges are tremendous. I do, one of the things that I think is an issue is that payment limitations, depending upon how USDA structures this plan, payment limitations could kick in and create a significant limitation on any cow-calf operator or feed yard uh, manager to get much benefit out of the program uh, if uh, they are limited to $125,000. So an issue that uh, we're paying attention to, particularly here as a Kansan, where we want uh, success for all of our livestock uh, industry, um, what, however they, whatever role they play in that industry. 
We're talking with Kansas Senator Jerry Moran. We hear that uh, you may be close in Congress to uh, getting more money for the uh, Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, what can you tell us? What's the latest on that? Mike, uh, yesterday afternoon I was on a conference call with uh, some of the Republican senators, uh, as well as President Trump and Secretary Mnuchin, uh, the Treasury Secretary. This was the conversation. Uh, the indications are, and the news reports this, that there is uh, close to an agreement, uh, Republicans and Democrats, on what this, uh, I don't know whether this is phase three and a half or phase four, but what this next step in legislative uh, enactment should look like. And uh, what, um, what I know about that uh, is that the, the CARES program that we're, this phase three that we're operating under, one of the circumstances that I think government actually did something, federal government did something that uh, is awfully helpful, is terribly helpful, is this Section 7 SBA loan guarantee program for small businesses and their employees. And in fact, um, I used to know the national numbers, but in Kansas, that program guaranteed $4.28 billion of, of loans to small businesses in Kansas. That loan can be forgiven in large part, and the criteria is keep your employees employed. That was uh, 26,000 loans just in my state alone. That has been hugely beneficial. On an ag program like yours, we'd highlight that it is available to farmers. There's another SBA program called IDEL, and it has not been. It's, been a, it's not a new program. It's been around at SBA. And the, the story from my conversations yesterday and our work suggests that that program is now going to become farmer eligible. So a, a development directly related to agriculture in that SBA uh, portfolio of ways that it, it can help the country recover economically. Uh, so uh, in addition to the additional dollars to restock the loan guarantee program, in addition to bringing farmers and putting more money into the IDEL SBA program, we expect to see additional dollars for testing uh, and we see intend to see additional dollars for hospitals. Uh, and that is expected to be uh, generally the program. I kept waiting yesterday, today, uh, for uh, an announcement that that agreement is finalized. The expectation is the Senate would vote on it by unanimous consent. The House would do the same thing. Uh, you're talking to me from my home in Kansas while I'm on call to go back to Washington, D.C. on 24 hours notice. Uh, the expectation is that this is with this agreement, this uh, potential agreement, that this is something that could pass the Senate uh, tomorrow, and uh, we await to see whether that turns out to be a reality. There's plenty of political bickering, as we always have in just about everything these days, but uh, just anxious uh, to hear your thoughts, Senator, on, on the government's response so far to COVID-19 and what you expect to see or think we might see yet as this goes on well mike i was pleased while you're right there's always political bickering and we've seen some of this subsequent uh, there was a moment in which i thought maybe this uh circumstance this crisis would uh would reduce uh the amount of political bickering and that was the senate passed the cares act 96 to 0 uh that those kind of votes don't happen often anymore uh, but this was a moment for us to pull together, and I generally think that legislation, as I said, has been pretty beneficial. I would say that 
there are things in we this is the third phase we're now working on i guess what we call phase four but the, there are things in this legislation that uh i i don't like that it's in there i also would say that i am voting for more government spending and more government intrusion at the federal level in our lives than i'm comfortable with generally but the circumstance through no fault of their own americans are in a very difficult circumstance both health-wise and and economically financially and it seemed to me that i can't just insist that i get exactly what i want or that the solution is my solution there's lots of members of congress all representing different interests different parts of the country different philosophies and we all have to give a little to get something that we generally agree is is beneficial and i think that has happened and i think it will continue to happen I would say that in as far as the future, my focus, first of all, let me say that, again, with my belief that we're spending lots of money, uh, huge sums of money, we can't uh, continue to afford to do that. We need to make sure these programs are not permanent. We need to make sure that the levels of spending uh, and government intrusion don't continue when the COVID uh, circumstance is, is behind us. On the other hand, uh, we need to make certain we do things differently in the future than where we were today. We were not prepared as a country for this kind of uh, virus uh, affecting not only outside the United States, but the, but the, U the U.S. and our citizens. Uh, and particularly the problem has been the lack of testing capabilities and the lack of, of, of protection equipment for our health care providers and emergency first responder personnel. That's a circumstance we should never let ourselves get in where we don't have gowns and masks uh, and gloves. My, my take, a take from this is never again should we outsource uh, our essentials, particularly healthcare essentials, just as we would say in agriculture to some other foreign country. We ought not rely on China or Honduras or anybody else for things that we need in time of crisis. And we need to make sure that's the case into the future. But again, I think that the, the from my perspective, uh, in fact, I've thought about this a lot. What's next? Uh, the next thing that uh, the next crisis can be the, the economic consequences, the debt and deficit, the intrusion in people's lives that comes from what we're doing to date. While I still think it's necessary at this point, I want to make sure that that level of spending and that uh, re intrusion in our lives doesn't continue. I would focus our attention in the future on testing and making certain we have the personal protection equipment on research and vaccines and making sure we have a, um, a safe and secure food supply. My, my belief is we can't just continue throwing money forever, particularly at a time in which the economy is, is so shut down. Senator, good to talk with you again. Always appreciate your perspective and uh, insight into these issues and uh, look forward to having you back on again soon. Thank you very much. Mike, nice to catch up with you. Thank you. You take care and stay well, sir. Thank you. Kansas Senator Jerry Moran, good update on where we're at with the government response, what they're working on, and his thoughts on the needs as we move forward. And, of course, the challenges now of restarting the economy. Looks like a rolling start and a lot of controversy around that, too. But we're seeing people react to some of these restrictions and lockdowns. So going to be interesting uh, moving forward how this plays out and uh, again a big part of this uh, impacts agriculture certainly and not only the supply chain but how we get things up and going and get consumer demand back and things like that 
consumer demand. That has really fallen off when it comes to fuel, and that has greatly impacted negatively the ethanol industry, which did not get help in this uh, package announced by USDA. We'll talk about that with Brian Jennings with the American Coalition for Ethanol next. Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices, but they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia Herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications. And it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia Herbicide is a US EPA restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, notably absent from the $19 billion USDA assistance package announced late Friday was the ethanol industry. An industry very, very hard hit and needing assistance. Let's talk about it with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Brian, thank you for joining us. I know you have to be disappointed that there wasn't some assistance uh, in the package for the ethanol industry. Well, good good morning to you, Mike. And, and certainly we were disappointed. Um, as you noted, uh, ethanol was not included in the $19 billion that was announced on Friday. But we have been in close contact with the Department of Agriculture. They understand the pain and suffering that ethanol producers and biodiesel biodiesel producers, uh, by the way, are, are facing. And I think if they had more funds, they might have been able to provide some, some relief. We're going to continue to work closely with them uh, and with Congress. We know future stimulus packages are under consideration. Uh, we're we're going to keep chipping away at this. But yeah, it's disappointing because we've got plants, you know, every day more plants shut down. Over half of the industry is idled right now. Um, I can't believe those words are coming out of my mouth. I mean, we we have the capability to produce 17 billion gallons of ethanol in the United States and, and more than 8 billion gallons of that um, approaching 9 billion gallons is, is offline right now. And that's that's a remarkable statement. One way the government could help is to stop hurting the ethanol industry, and that would be to make sure that the EPA doesn't further weaken the RFS. Boy, I, I can't say it any better than that. You're, you're exactly right, Mike. Um, the RFS is supposed to serve as a floor for renewable fuel demand. But, of course, we've seen uh, over the last several years different waivers or escape hatches that either EPA itself or the refiners have sort of discovered and um, it, it really has hurt us, and so it seems like we're always, you know, it's a constant battle to try to keep that RFS intact, and and the refiners, you know, took a shot at it last week with those with those five governors from from oil states, Texas, uh, Utah, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Wyoming, seeking uh, another waiver of the RFS, and so we'll have that battle on our hands as well. You mentioned the ethanol plants closing, idling. Uh, one of the, we, you know, obviously the fuel is a part of this, DDG is a part of this, but 
who knew, most, a lot of us didn't, you certainly did, but a lot of people didn't realize uh, something like CO2, which affects a lot of other industries, as we're finding out now, and now we're not, we don't have that production. Isn't it amazing, the supply, amazing is probably not the right word, but the, the supply disruptions that we have discovered as a result of, of certain businesses closing or, or ramping down production. Yeah, um, carbon dioxide obviously is a critical ingredient for uh, meat packers, food processors, the beverage industry, and the ethanol industry is the largest supplier of that food-grade uh, CO2. Um, and right, as these plants shut down, not only is, you know, it's disrupting the feed market and distiller's grain, especially with ruminants, but it's also disrupting that supply of, of CO2 for the food manufacturers. I, they've been in touch with the industry and with, with Congress. I think there might be some efforts, frankly, from the federal government to help plants stay open so they can keep supplying the, these products. Um, but it does sort of uncover the fact that we really do depend upon uh, a complex chain of the, the supply for this product to, to keep folks going. We've talked a lot about how ethanol plants have been able to help out with uh, uh, hand sanitizers, but even that has somewhat been challenging because of bureaucratic red tape. Well, you talked about the government hurting, not helping, and here's a case where the the the, the, you almost get whiplash, the different regulations that have been coming um, out from the Food and Drug Administration relative to sanitizer, Mike. It's it's incredible. They relaxed some regulations at the end of March, enabling more plants to supply alcohol for sanitizer. They reversed course last week, um, which really pulls the rug out of some plants. Some plants, Mike, that spent money on equipment, to have the distillation uh, intact to make this food grade, uh, you know, type type uh, alcohol for sanitizer, and and now FDA has changed the rules of the road on them, and so yeah, it's enormously frustrating when we've got the federal government, multiple agencies, I should say, of the federal government, sort of changing the rules of the road and and working against us when when we're trying to to be helpful, and a lot of these plants have simply donated this product. They're, some are certainly selling it and trying to eke out a profit, but frankly, most of these plants are donating this alcohol uh, for healthcare workers or for prison systems. And storage capacity for ethanol, pretty well filled, right? We are full, Mike. Um, more than a billion gallons, well over a billion gallons is sitting in storage right now, and that's an all-time record high. We'll see what the Energy Information Administration comes out with midweek when they give their weekly update. But um, production way down, demand collapsed, and there's a lot of ethanol sitting in storage right now and and with no place for it to go. So, um, yeah, those folks seeking a waiver of the RFS don't have a case to make because we've got plenty of supply uh, available, but, but we just don't have the demand. I wish we had better news, but thanks for the update, Brian. Take care. Thanks, Mike. You too. 
Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. All right, coming up tomorrow, more reaction to the $19 billion assistance package from USDA. We'll hear from the pork industry, the beef industry, and the dairy industry. Get their thoughts on that that announcement and how those funds will help and be used. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Hope you'll join us. Stay safe, everyone. Join us again tomorrow here on AOA. AOA.